Welcome to Lost in Translations. I'm your host, Michael, and in this episode, I am interviewing Sophie Hughes, who is the translator of many books, and I will be talking to her about her translation and editing Europa 28, a new anthology out by Comma Press. Well, first off, I'd like to congratulate you on the two long-listed books. That's pretty amazing on the International Booker Prize. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me as well today. Yeah. Really lovely. Um, I, it's so nice to have readers and podcasters and people actually taking effort to spread the word about these books. So that's lovely. Yeah. Well, I, I started getting interested in translations and couldn't find a podcast. So I had to create one. Share it more. Yeah. I feel very lucky to be able to have a chance to interview some translators and because yeah. it's the side of it I don't know much about. Yeah. But also, you know, it does in, it can enrich the experience. You read yeah. news and it's just so one-sided, isn't it? Because it's lovely to be able to write down your views, but it's nice to be able to kind of answer back and explain some of the decisions yeah. that you made. Um, not even to kind of defend them, but just to discuss them. That's how we all learn, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Like, I looked up Wikipedia and your literary translation career seems to have started five years ago. Is that correct? I think that my first published full length book was 2015 I think that's right yeah but um of course I'd been kind of borrowing way before then and I I think as a lot of um translators will tell you getting the first book can take a while I it didn't take me too long I have no complaints at all and Adam Freudenheim at Pushkin Press took a kind of risk on me in a way because I hadn't published anything full length and I hadn't even been working for as long as lots of other translators do before they get their full length one so it was a little bit of luck um, and being in the right place at the right time with the right book. Yeah so from what I, I'm, I'm going off Wikipedia because I don't know much about your life <laughs> but it said you started off as uh, in a mentorship with the British Centre yeah, I think, that, I think that was 2016, maybe 2015. I applied for the British Centre for Literary Translation, which is now part of the National Centre for Writing Mentorship Scheme, which was incredible. I was lucky to get it. I, there was a, a kind of um, choice that year to have a non-specific language prose mentorship. So my mentorship was with, was with Sean Whiteside, who translates from various languages, but not from Spanish. He does translate from Italian, so he, you know, he knows Romance languages. Yeah. And he was sort of almost like prophetic in his knowledge of Spanish, even though he claimed not to speak <laughs> any Spanish. That was just brilliant. You just got to talk about translation decisions. And at that young or at that early stage, you, I suppose you don't know what the limits are of what's within convention is allowed. And you feel that you ought to sort of play within the rules a bit. And so that mentorship was just invaluable, actually. Yeah, uh, I reckon it would have probably been very useful. Like just looking at the list of books, you seem to have been pretty lucky with the books you've translated because I think 
was it Amami? First one, so that kind of blew up in a great way. It was on the Best Translated Book Award, and I think you won a Pen Award for it as well. Yeah, so the the Pen translates awards. They don't get awarded to the translator, but to the book, um, and their yeah. money goes. The money goes towards funding the translation, so it goes to the publisher in it to enable them to actually get the book out. So those awards are another um, British kind of an initiative that is just makes it makes it possible to do what we do I had worked previously before sort of giving up my day job to call myself a full-time literary translator I'd worked for a literary agency and so I knew all about kind of how rights worked um it was a literary agency that worked as well with foreign rights so in a way I was really lucky because I had the sort of business or more strategic side of things relatively clear in my head so I knew for example that you couldn't just kind of go around willy-nilly translating things and expecting them suddenly the rights to be free and the author to want you to be the translator so that was really lucky well that was you know that was very helpful and then I realized that I was just kind of stuck in a job that I enjoyed for some things, but was missing something. And that was really the creative side. So I started translating more and more, but in the cupboard, so to speak, not not publishing, just to, for learning and for enjoyment. Uh, and then I started doing a lot of reader reports and I worked, I was outsourced by a literary scout. So I started reading a lot of books really early. So the books that I'd managed to get to read really early and then sort of started to promote and pitch. I didn't pitch them officially because there were agents attached, but I just sort of went around spreading the word saying, I think this is a great book. Um, that was The Boy Who Stole the Tiller's Horse, Umami, Rodrigo Hasbun's Affections. All of those books had agents attached who were, you know, the people who got the book sold. But I was at, I was kind of around from an early stage and doing samples for them to help with the pitch and things like that. So, yeah, I was... It, I still do try to read as early as possible. I I try to read as as much as I can. It's not always easy, but I try to read as much as I can of what's coming out now. And I kind of put feelers out and ask all of my friends who are living in Latin America, you know, writers and things out there to see if they've heard of anyone new and interesting coming up. And I just try and get there early so I can read. And um, there's a lot of us around, a lot of Spanish translators. So I've been lucky to be able to get some really good books. Yeah, I don't know if there's many Spanish translators that are doing South America and Spanish, like Spain. Is that is there difficulty like going between the different countries? I've been more recently, apart from the co-translation with Margaret Costa of Enrique Villamantas' book called Mac and His Problem. Apart from that, I haven't done any Spanish books for a little while. And that's just because my focus, I was living in Mexico. So I was reading a lot of Mexican literature. That's why I've got, sort of, I think, four books now on the cards that are on the table that are from Mexico. I don't know that it makes a huge difference. Sometimes I I feel that there are, I read some Spanish books that I get asked to read and I say, I'm not going to take this on because I I don't feel as in, in touch with the language in Spain. So, yeah, I think it does matter, actually, how much contact you have with, with a place. Or it can, depending on the book. Uh, do the, does it matter between, like, going from Chile to Mexico and what was the other one I saw? Um, I think Colombia. Bolivia. The other one. Bolivia, oh, yeah. Is there much difference in, in the way translating those need to happen? 
no, not really. I, I, I mean, I could say that there are obvious things like different lexicons. So, but yeah. I was working in all three cases with contemporary authors and they were all amenable and happy to be asked if I had any questions. And you can also ask people, people from those places if you're really stuck. Um, but no, I didn't, I didn't really struggle. No. What what is your translation process? Do you normally work with the author to translate, or yeah, whenever yeah. whenever I can, uh, I do. And in my experience, it's been wonderful. I haven't had a bad experience yet. Um, I I don't feel. I think that sometimes there may be a general understanding of the collaborative process with author and translator as, as almost kind of corrective, or maybe from the outside, one would think that the author comes in to correct what you've got wrong. Yeah. That hasn't been my experience at all. It's been much more akin to almost like a workshop setting where you're able to um, make the process one more pleasurable, but also gain insights that allow you to make certain decisions. Like it's almost as if by understanding more what the author's intention was, you almost have more creative freedom. You're given the set of boundaries within which to work that allow you to say, okay, well, in English, this isn't quite working if I take it kind of almost literally or syntactically very similarly. So how about we play with this? Or it, it worked really well with Umami and Laia Hufresa and, her, and the jokes. You know, there was lots of wordplay and wordplay often doesn't translate literally for obvious reasons. And so it was just discussion saying what's what's funny in English? You know, what what works here? What's yeah. what would you what do you think your characters would laugh at? Because they're not my characters. They are in my head. And as the reader who gets to decide to be the one who translates them in a way, you have some agency. You have to. Otherwise, otherwise, you're not really taking responsibility for the, being the person who's been chosen to translate the book. But at the same time, if you have the author there willing and open to discuss these things with you, I, I really enjoy it. I really. It sounds like you prefer to translate more contemporary stuff. Is that the case? or It's just what's happened, really. Yeah, I think the, 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 the oldest book I've translated was Jose Revueltas is the Whole, um, El Apando, which is from only from 1969. So... I think that's right. I, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure that's right. But yeah, that's that's just what's happened. I would love to go back and do some kind of challenge myself working with authors from, from other times. Um, I think it would be a real challenge um, because there are different questions come up about what kind of English one should use. There's a whole, you know, there's a range of essays and kind of theses on, on, on what, what translators can do to translate text from in the past but yeah I think it would be a big challenge for me because it's something I haven't done yet so there's no bucket list of classics you would like to translate or do new translations for or anything yeah, like that yeah of course there are but it's not it's not even actually because I've read the translate existing translations it's just because there are some books that deeply move you and yeah being moved it's exactly the same as just being a regular reader who doesn't translate them you know some books make you want to talk about them a lot and as a translator that just that wanting to talk about it can sometimes translate into this most wonderful kind of gift in a way to more readers uh, so it's not just being able to say oh in the pub oh, I read this great book I'm going to tell you about it it's like I read this great book I'm gonna translate it for you so that you can read it too I don't want to get too kind of lovey-dovey about translation as a gift it's a career there are also books that get translated that are questionable but 
that's why I like doing it. When I read a book and I get excited about it and I'm able to um, kind of have a conversation with future readers by translating. Yeah, I always think of it as an art form, but I've yeah. never tried to translate. Have you, what, are your, what are your languages? Um, barely English and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel that my language is barely English as well. But yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about what constitutes an art. I don't. I never really think of it like that. It's something that I took to, that I really enjoyed in the way that some people enjoy doing crosswords and some people actually ha- absolutely hate it. I do quite a lot of work in schools and do university workshops now, and you do just come across people who say, oh, "I hate translation, Miss." You know, I just and they hate it as an activity. Full stop. And I don't, I think it's almost patronising to say, oh, no, come on, let's, let's see if you really love it. I mean, I always try to encourage them to see that they're the fun yeah. side of it, but I don't think it's for everyone. I'm, my husband's a linguist and he's a brilliant linguist, fluent in other languages. He's um, kind of lecturer in literature and things, but he doesn't want to translate. You know, he says, it's not my bag. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. Um, does it come from a, I, I would feel like a lot of that would come from what people are translating as well. Like if they're translating legal documents, they might not enjoy it as much. Maybe, yeah. Although I'm sure each to their own. I'm sure there are legal translators who love <laughs> what they do as well. I, I have never gone into any other kind of translating as a conscious decision, really. I, I've, I've preferred to do other jobs within publishing on the side to keep my income kind of uh, more my bank balance a more or less healthy level i've preferred to do that than to do the slightly more profitable other kinds of translation um and also they're they're skills that require you training often so and i haven't got that training and i just don't have the desire to get it but but yeah I, I, it's a nice profession as you've probably discovered speaking to so many translators on this podcast because people do tend to just rave about their job and say how great yeah it is. <laughs> It is always good to be able to bring to the English world some great literature. I guess that's always a joy. Definitely a joy, yeah. Can I ask what it was like to work with, like, Margaret Jo Costa? She's, like, a legend. She is a legend. <laughs> she is a legend. Uh, I adore Margaret Jo Costa. I adore her translations. I think she has a very special kind of talent gift and um she's the reason that i began translating so it's a happy story and a, and a kind of unlikely one in a way i was doing my masters in comparative literature in london ucl and um which incidentally is a place where other translators have done their masters like jen kaleya and she and i was reading uh, javier maria at the time and my dissertation was on some of his work and i sort of was running out of time and I needed to read all of his novels and I decided to get some out that weren't in the library in Spanish and I got out these translations and I didn't look at the translator I didn't really know that much about translation to be honest or pay too much attention to it and I remember having read all of his work in Spanish for over a long period and then suddenly reading it in English and after about a chapter kind of looking up and realizing that I couldn't hear a different voice okay. and I was astounded I was like this is unbelievable I'm reading a different language but it's just I'm just hearing the same hymn to my ear 
And then I obviously started looking at who it was. And then I saw that Margaret Dorkofter had this incredible career that began, you know, decades ago and that she's really considered one of the best in the world for a reason. Um, and working with her was amazing. She's my idol. So I got to see how she works and she's so considered, so careful. Um, and she's just not precious. <laughs> she's just very practical translator so there is a there is a lot of consideration that goes on of course but she's very pragmatic about the fact that you have to get the voice down on the page and so she's I don't know it was really pleasing to work with someone who's very good at making decisions you know she just she she, ha- she has to be decisive so she is and she doesn't sort of find her I don't I never found her defending her decisions or kind of overly worrying about them which did me quite a lot of good. <laughs> yeah. Out of all those books you had to read, did you come out with a favourite or just really enjoyed all his books? Of Maria. Well, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I loved the Your Face Tomorrow trilogy. I think that's... Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really incredible. feels like a long time ago now that I read it. And after my master's, I didn't want to read him for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I and then I think the last book I read of his was The Infatuation. I mean, there are loads of trans. I I mainly read in translation, but I also really try not to do that to fall into that trap because if you're only reading in translation, then you're missing out on lots of kind of classics that I am yet to read in yeah. the English language. So I try to kind of keep a varied reading list or to be oh, read. I think I've given up on that. <laughs> I feel like there's just so many translations that people aren't talking about that I want to get to yeah so I seem to focus more on that that makes sense you also I think it makes sense to focus in some way as well otherwise you just end up reading yeah. <laughs> well before I had like 95% of my books were from America and I'm not American so it seemed a bit weird yeah that's interesting isn't it that that's why I started reading books from around the world and then I realised I liked that more. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I I wonder how many people would come across that say well I wasn't it Anne Morgan who also decided she read the world and she did the TED talk. And yeah. read a book from every country I think in the world or for out of every yeah. maybe. Yeah, she tried to do it in a year, which I think well, is well. pretty intense. Yeah, definitely. It'd be too much for me. Yeah, I feel like I find countries that I want to stay in that country for a lot longer. Yeah. Like at the moment, it's Argentina for me. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's true. There's some great work coming out of Argentina and so much of it coming from Falco as well. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm re- really keen to read China and from on the, on the Booker list. It sounds absolutely incredible. I am going to attempt the whole Booker list. <laughs> Are you? Are you uh, going to? Yeah, it? I, 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 I try and do it every year. What about are you going to try and do it by the second or eighth? Or? Oh, I'm going to try. I've I've got four done so far, so. But then you've got I'm sort of three. Doing okay. Life, haven't you? That's quite a long one. Yeah, yeah. The eighth life, I'll probably leave to last <laughs> because I think that's just going to take up too much time. What are the ones that you've read? Uh, Back in his problems, which I really enjoyed. Oh, good. Speaking of what you translated, <laughs> I did um, Michelle Welbeck, mm-hmm. which I have complicated feelings about him. Mm. Uh, but he has some interesting things to say. He's just 
not a nice person. <laughs> yeah, an interesting and long discussion to be had about the the difference between the author and the man and whether there is Yeah, one. yeah. I finished the uh what was it called? The face on the tip of my tongue, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finished that. Um I feel like that one was abridged, which kind of made me a little upset. Ah, from the original. Yeah, uh, the original's like 350 pages and um, the English version's like 150. Well, that's quite interesting. I haven't come across Yeah, that. the publisher did mention that they tried to cut it down to make it more accessible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I'm not a fan of, but I guess it's their choice mm. of what would sell. I guess they have an idea what would sell. It makes it certainly intriguing what came out, I suppose. If you read it and liked it, you want to know. Yeah. And the fourth one was The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. Mm. Mm. I really like Ogawa. Yeah, that's one of my bed. I really want to get to. And I'm currently reading Hurricane Season, which I'm loving. Oh, how far are you into it? Uh, Only about 80 pages. Oh, yeah. But I don't want it to end. I, I just like that gritty kind of noirish style mm. yeah it's it i translated it quite um in intensive bursts i remember um because i kind of couldn't tear myself away it does have that feeling yeah i i like it i i'm getting like feelings of roberto Bellagio at times as well and yeah. i really enjoy that style yeah it certainly doesn't look away from yeah from the realities that they have experienced or that they feel. Yeah, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad. <laughs> I always say my life's good, so I want to read about people suffering. <laughs> yeah, well, it certainly means that you probably have thick skin to be able to kind of cope with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, an, it's an emotional book. It, it's in some ways unrelenting, but I think for me, what I really loved about that book, and maybe I was lucky in in that I got to read it so 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 many times, and so these details became more apparent to me. But I just I think it's so compassionate. I think there's so much love yeah. into that book. Um, I feel like the tiniest observation and weakness or characterization on the part of Fernanda opens up a the true reasons for or kind of the origins of violence as well you know that yeah they the violence is not really born of itself it's it, it it's kind of the repercussion of something and i find it really interesting the way that fernanda looks at repercussions without sympathizing in a kind of overt way so she just looks at small details that give you an idea of how this person's life is on the day-to-day level yeah, no judgment, which I think is yeah unusual these days. Sometimes in books, <laughs> it definitely is. It feels like a lot of people have a message they want to slide in. Yeah, and I feel like she's from what I've read so far. It's like trying to explore different sides, different aspects of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and also I just. She proffers a kind of um, quite an extreme reading experience, which won't be for everyone. And I, I know that some people will probably think that's, um, you know, kind of don't want to be pulled around so much by the author. Mm-hmm. But I, I also know that the people who lo- who who are loving it 
love it because they feel that they have been thrown really into a world in a generous way where someone has really inhabited, the author has really tried to inhabit it and kind of share that world with us. It's not a very nice world to be in, but I think it's one worth looking at for what it really is without kind of veneer, this sort of strange journalese veneer of the news, news speak. And fiction is one way that we can do that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about your latest project as well, the Europa 28. How did that come about? That was on the invitation of the K Festival. They asked me if I would be willing to edit an anthology, which is the anthology kind of affiliated with or coming alongside accompanying a a festival that's going on um, in Croatia in June in Rijeka. And um, that is the European Short Story Festival. And that's a three-day festival where they'll um, bring together 28 very prominent artists and thinkers and writers and scientists and um, legal experts and people from really a varied um, varied field uh, to discuss their vision for the future of Europe. So we're just kind of pooling insights and we've just received the most of them incredible text. So the texts are almost really a slice of the conversations that we anticipate um, the participants having with each other at the festival. Um, and it's been a brilliant project to be a part of. And so much generous intellect have gone into these pieces. There's so many amazing authors in that text as well. Yeah, we were, we, we you know, we, we, I, I would say we're lucky, but I think the combination of it being a Hay Festival project, um, a, a wonderful kind of collegiate idea of coming together at a time when I think that we can all feel that Europe is a, a sort of tipping point or crisis moment. I mean, we have crises going on within Europe, but Europe itself is, as a, as a kind of entity, is almost like a contested thing at the moment. Of course, Brexit destabilising it in quite a momentous way. So I don't, I didn't necessarily surprise me that authors were keen to get something out on this because I think that in a way we all have to almost if not expiate them just um, in some way try to focus and really think deeply about how we feel about this this place where we live and the responsibility that Europe has towards the rest of the world and unto itself and its own citizens so yeah we were we, we we got some fantastic speakers but also the unknown names, you know, or the names that won't be necessarily familiar to so many readers. I think that's actually what excited me most of all about the project, to seeing the lineup, because the lineup was decided by Hay. This is a Hay Festival project that began, and then Comma Press with me have come on. And I must say that it was co-edited with Sarah Cleave as well at Comma Press, um, who's really expert at putting together um, these kinds of anthologies and her expertise was greatly appreciated so we had a lot of fun we we enjoyed it and it was an honor to work on a project that looked at women thinkers because the reason behind the thinking of Europa 28 and getting women um, experts in their fields um, was because they're persistently diminished still and unfortunately underrepresented underrepresented um, within European cultural heritage. So I think it was an extra privilege for me to listen to these women's voices. Yeah, well, getting Comma involved was probably a great choice because they do heaps of great anthologies. Yes, they do. Yeah, it wasn't an accidental choice. It was definitely looking at their you know, CV. It's, they're brilliant and they are... Yeah, they've they've been great, and it's it they're, they're publishing really well. Sadly, coronavirus is obviously you know it's, it's 
um, necessarily we're having to cancel quite a lot of events at the moment so we just urge everyone to buy the book and read it even in your self-isolation oh you got time to read it in self-isolation <laughs> yeah exactly exactly the, the timing for events isn't great but I do think that the anthology is something of an event in itself you know for those who can't come to the festival the idea is that in this book there are um, conversations going on between the tech um, so you'll have a beautiful piece of kind of narrative non-fiction um, from Katka Kasabova and just picking names out that come to mind instantly that kind of show you the, the difference in kind of the breadth of interests that are covered so Kapka's looking at borders and lakes uh, in the Balkans and um, peoples with living within those borderlands and um, the the kind of uh, rifts between those people or the imagined rifts between them so there's uh, also kind of slightly more pragmatic thinking, maybe, uh, we could say, between, um, for example, Hilary Cotton is there. She's the UK name represented in the book. Um, so she's a sort of social activist and uh, she works a lot thinking about the welfare system and, and the overhaul of our um, British welfare system, but also looking at Europe in general and how we treat certain peoples within our society. So it's yeah, it's it's a, there's a huge breadth of experience and some really truly wonderful, beautiful writing. So it's a combination of fiction and non-fiction. Uh, and I must add, obviously, because I would, that the translations <laughs> were really genuinely stunningly good. I, I don't think we got any copy that wasn't really very very kind of beautifully and considered and written and it just made me love translators even more because I've never really been on this side kind of project managing and overseeing um, and receiving text from, from translated text so to see the care and um, the knowledge that's gone into translating some of these really in-depth and intricate and also poetic and beautifully written pieces was just heartening and uplifting yeah, it is the side of translating and publishing that doesn't get talked about much. I'm hoping to get someone in publishing to interview one day, but I'm still working on that. Quite a lot of translators now are working, doing both. So yeah, Petch, he does a lot of editing as well, and Annie McDermott does some. So you'd have a good opportunity there to see both sides of the coin. Are there any other projects you wanted to talk about? or? Um, yeah, I've got, I'm just, I've just delivered a novel. I've got, I'm really excited this year because I'm doing not quite a lot of non-fiction. So it's just a change, which is nice. I'm, I'm back with Alia Trabukosaran, who had the remainder on the shortlist last year. And she's got yeah. a non-fiction book, um, which is about women who kill. And it's a sort of, um, oh, yeah. it's a sort of feminist treatise in a unusual guise. And it's really powerful. And um, really well written, as you would expect if you read the remainder. So that's lovely to translate. Yeah. The book I just delivered is a novel uh, by another Mexican, quite a young Mexican writer. This is her first, it's a debut book that's doing incredibly well in Mexico. Uh, it's called Casas Vacías, Empty Houses, and that will be published by Daunt's Books at the end of this year or in the fall of this year. So that's a really exciting project as well, and I'm just about to start editing that. And then the other non-fiction is ah some of more of Fernanda Melchor, so the next Fernanda book, which is a book of Cronica about 
the state of Veracruz in Mexico, which has been a big phenomenon as well in Mexico, as almost as big a phenomenon as a hurricane season has been there. So that's another great project. Awesome. Yeah, to keep me busy and out of trouble. <laughs> you still got to try and aim for free books on next year's Booker Prize. Yeah, I, think, I think my book a lot <laughs> run out by now, but it's a real honor. <laughs> of course, it's a huge honor. It's very exciting and it's a big honor. And uh, I'm especially proud to be on the list with Margaret. Yeah, there's some great books there that you mentioned. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really grateful. Yeah. Thank you. That you and all the bloggers and podcasters do. <laughs> yeah, well, we need more people talking about translations, so hopefully I, hopefully that'll continue to grow. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you. Thank you again. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod, and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe, and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes, and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Let's See Under Translations Pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wolgarukaba and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia, and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production.